0: In Journey Through Genesis, this is part 12. We are going to look at Genesis 14. This is our part 2 of that. And Genesis 15, part 1 tonight. And if you're not familiar with what we're doing, we are taking a journey through Genesis. And it's been a lot of fun. So we're going to start tonight. I want to say a prayer. Jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is, is a light, a lamp. Guides us, leads us, speaks to us. I pray God that you would reveal truth to us from your word. Your word is truth. I pray God that you would make that difference in our lives that that knowing the truth can make. And I give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. It's good to see Natalie in the house tonight. Good to see Savannah in the house tonight from Ohio. We're glad that you're here. So, um, I want to start in Genesis 14. I'm not going to read those first nine verses. I attempted to do that last time. and You know, there's a lot of big words in those first nine verses. And Valerie was uh, correcting me for trying to give all the different pronunciations of the words. And so I'm going to try to refrain from that because, you know, there's 17 different translations or ways to pronounce some of these words. So I'm not even going to read the first nine. We read them last time. But I have in my notes right here, verses one through nine, don't read. Well, that's because I read them last time. Now, this is the battle of the nine kings. The end of verse nine, ironically, says this. It says at the end of verse nine, four kings against five. Now. The geopolitical atmosphere of of the day started affecting Abram in this chapter. And Abram, as you know, is a man introduced to us who's been dedicated to and for some very special plans and purposes of God. As a matter of fact, it's going to be through his offspring that the prophetic word of the devil defeating Christ, the seed of the woman, is going to be born. So this seemingly obscure battle on the backside of nowhere between nine kings takes on some cosmic proportions as it begins to affect Abram's destiny. So I want to pick it up in verse 10. We'll look at 10 through 13. Now, the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits. And here's the deal. When I read a name, if I think of other ways to pronounce it, you're not going to hear them. Okay? I'm just going to give you the one, the first one that comes out of my mouth. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree, trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. You don't know how that hurt me not to try to repronounce those. So let's stop there. We see that the valley of Sidon was filled with tar pits. Tar pits. It's also called bitumen, this tar, bitumen. It's a semi-solid, gelatinous form of petroleum. Later, we're going to see where Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed with fire and brimstone. And some believe that it was this petrol that served as the fuel for the fire, so to speak. Now, some of the armies of Sodom and Gomorrah fell in battle at the tar pits. Perhaps some of them fell into the tar pits. Maybe they were bogged down by the tar pits. Maybe the other king's armies were shooting arrows of flame into the tar pits or the ones that were covered in tar, setting them on fire, burning them up. But it says also that others fled to the mountains. Then the five kings plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and took the survivors into captivity where they would be enslaved. And they also took Lot and his family. Let's look at this next verse, verse 14. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Wouldn't you rather hear the different pronunciations? You don't have to answer that. Verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother Lot, that's his brother's son, Lot, was taken captive, he armed his 308th. 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Abram could have said when he realized that his brother's son, Lot, had been taken captive, he could have just said, Good riddance, you filthy animal, you selfish scoundrel. It's all about you, isn't it? You're getting what you deserve. But Abram was a man of honor, and he looked at it like this. This is the son of my deceased brother. I've let him come this far, and I'm not going to leave him now. So without hesitation, this is fascinating to me, without hesitation, he goes after what had to be thousands and thousands of warriors with only 318 servants from his own house. Now, the number's interesting. Why 318? The Bible could have just as easily said his servants, or all of his servants, or his servants of a certain age. But it said 318 servants. Well, man, you start researching that, you're going to find a lot of Hebrew speculation, the rabbis. Imagine amazing things there. And then even into the Greek language, you've got uh, the theologians searching, numerologists searching, trying to find meaning in 318. Everything from the numbers to the letters the numbers represent to the shape of the numbers, everything. What does it mean, 318? I even thought that's the area code for North Louisiana. truth is, though, there's a lot of fanciful thoughts about it, but no one really knows why it was 318. Now, the Bible says that they were trained servants, trained servants. The language is interesting. What does that mean? Well, I see three possibilities. Maybe it's one of these, maybe it's a couple of them or a combination of them or all three. But the first possibility is this, they were trained in the art of war. Maybe they were trained warriors. Maybe instead of just traveling around and doing what they did, you know, raising sheep and cattle and doing what they did in their nomadic lifestyle, maybe they were also uh having drills. Uh chance maybe maybe they had a drill sergeant, right, that was barking out orders to them, and they were getting ready and prepared, going through all these rudiments and getting ready for, for warfare. Maybe they were trained in the art of war. He had to arm them, though, so I don't know if that's the case because it said, you know, he, he had to arm, they weren't walking around with their swords and, and whatnot, so he had to arm them. The second possibility is, they were trained in their regular duties. They were trained to be shepherds and cattlemen and, and hunters and farmers and cooks and tent makers, etc. Maybe that's the way they're trained. It's just making note that Abram was a man of excellence who brought, believed in systems and processes, who, who trained his team. But then the third possibility, I like this one. Maybe it means they were trained in the knowledge of. Of the Lord. Maybe Abram had shared with them what God had shared with him. He shared the truth about the true and living God. Perhaps this is the reason they were following him to begin with. He shared the truth about the true and living God. He told all of them how that he was blessed. And that God would bless those that bless him and curse those that cursed him. Isn't that what God had told him? So he doesn't have this Genesis to Revelation Bible. He just has snippets of the truth of who God is and what God is doing. And so he takes that and invests it in his team. He lets them know, God will bless those that bless me, curse those that curse me, Fellas, listen to me. As the blessed ones, we are unstoppable. He trained them perhaps to understand if God is for us, no one can stand against us. The forces that are with us are greater than those against us. Abram could not have heard all of those promises of God all of this time and not been filled with courage and faith. Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. And the Word edifies, builds up, strengthens, and makes bold. Years ago, I was in a prayer meeting back in my home church, Bossier City, Louisiana, and this was prior, this was after the move. I'm old enough that I'm the guy that says it was in the old church or the new church the new church is now like 25 years old you know but the old church this was in the new church and we were in a prayer meeting in the prayer room and and it was pre-service and i'm in i i had spent a lot of time uh in in this second phase of my walk with god you know i had walked away from the lord for a while and i'd come back and i was getting on fire for god and and i'm in this prayer meeting bobby and i'm just i'm praying And there's a lot of people praying. We're just praying like pre-service prayer. And the Lord spoke to me. I knew he spoke to me. Like I just felt prompted. I felt this intense need to go over and pray for a woman in another part of the prayer room. And the the Lord just said, go pray for her. Lay hands on her. Speak uh, faith over her. Pray over her. And so I was going to do that. I wanted to do that. But I went through this, this thing. You've probably done this before. I said, is that me or is that the Lord? And I felt it so strong, like, go pray for that woman. And I'm like, oh, that's just me. Oh, that's just me. That's just you, DH. And I kept feeling it, and I and I kept arguing and fighting. And the bottom line is I crossed a line where I finally said, No, I'm not gonna do that. That's not the Lord, that's me. And as soon as that happened, immediately I I I knew the Lord spoke this to my spirit. He said, He said, Donovan, he said, a half-tank Christian won't do what a full-tank Christian will. And my assignment for you requires a full tank. And then he said this, and this was interesting, kind of blew my mind. He said, fill up. See, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I'm like, fill up on the Spirit. You know, be filled with the Spirit. I need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not what he said to me. He said "Fill up on my word. Fill up on my word. Fill up on my word. Fill up on my word." And he said that word would take me from being half tank to full tank. There is a boldness that only comes from a depth of revelation that comes from the word of God. Word makes you bold. Revelation of the word Makes you solid. Remember when Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him without hesitation and said, And you, Simon, are now Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was he saying? He was saying that Peter is Petros. You are a peace of the Gibraltar-like rock because of the revelation that you have gotten, that you have received. What is the source of revelation? Peter had been around the Word. Peter was open to the Word. But the Holy Spirit revealed the Word to him, meaning pulled back the veil and showed him the reality of the truth of God's Word. And it became a revelation that made him as flinty As rock solid, as unflinching as the truth itself. And there was a boldness that you can see in the life of Peter from then on. Hey, listen, he made plenty of mistakes, but he never lost that revelation. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when people were making fun and saying, These men are drunk, that revelation sprung up in him. And he said, No, they're not drunk. You got to understand something I know about my Jesus, the same people that crucified Jesus just a, just a month and a half before, Peter stands and looks them in the eye and says, let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he did. Where did that boldness come from? Revelation. It came from the Word. And so here we have this amazing man, Abram, who is tanked up on the Word of God, so much so that he's going to take 318 men and go after thousands and thousands of these armies from Sodom and Gomorrah, or actually from the five kings, not Sodom and Gomorrah. Revelation 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Valerie and I have been talking a little bit about this lately. I'm having to adjust the singing. I'm sorry. I don't make the joyful noises that I used to make. They're different joyful noises now. But here's something Valerie and I have been talking about lately. We could have never done what we have done without the boldness that comes from the Word of God. And it's not bragging on us. We're nothing. Our boldness, though, didn't come from ourselves or our own strength or our own might, our own ingenuity. Our boldness came from knowing who we are in Christ and what God has made of us and what God has promised us. And so against all odds, we've traveled the world preaching and teaching, doing music, making albums, planted two churches, helped establish a third one, won a lot of souls to Jesus. And the reason we did so is because we knew if God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? And I want to tell you, whatever God's called you to do, You need to plug into who you are in Jesus and let him flow through you, man. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. And I used to look at those scriptures and imagine, like, what does that mean? I can do all things through Christ. I can fly. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to fly, right? I can do all these, like, amazing things. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall, and I can fly. That's what I can do. But it's not what that means. It means whatever He's called you to do, you can do. Whatever He's authorized you to do, you can do. It may seem impossible. It may be a mountain that's that's too tall for you to climb. But if He's called you to move it, you can speak to that mountain, and that mountain will be moved. That kind of confidence and boldness comes from getting into the Word. Everybody say the Word. You've got to get in the Word. We have A reintroduction of a program that's coming up here at LifePoint. Again, we used to do P52. We're bringing it back. But it has a different look, a different feel, and a different name. And I am so excited. That's just a teaser, but it is coming. You've got to get in the Word. Abram was not perfect but he was starting to believe we see this in Genesis 14. "I am who I am," says I am. He's made promises to me that have not come to pass yet, and I cannot be defeated until those promises come to pass. He walked in a confidence, rallies 318 men. He's a Bedouin, and goes after these kings. It's crazy. Now, you need to know that if God's called you, the enemy's going to resist you. You just have to accept that. Don't cave in at the first sign of pressure. You just need to stand strong. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you get all excited. You leave church. You feel like God's spoken to you. Maybe it was in a prayer meeting in your house or in your car. You feel emboldened. And the first thing that happens is you get in an argument with your wife. First thing that happens is your boss chews you out, tells you what a horrible employee you are. First thing that happens is you get in some kind of legal problem. Maybe you got some kind of bills piling up, and you're like, what? I just want to tell you, push beyond that. Stay in faith. No God's going to bring you through. No God's going to have his way. You can't be defeated. There's a call of God on your life. Don't stop. Understand, the devil will come. But boldly declare who you are in him and that what God has started in you, he's able to finish. Can I get an amen? Now check this out. Abram got some wisdom. Verses 15 and 16. He divided his forces, it says, against them by night. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother Lot, his brother's son Lot, and his goods as well as the women and the people. A couple of things about this I love. First of all, notice he said he and his servants attack. He didn't just send them out there, right? Go get them, guys. And then he, like, retreats. He joins them in the fight. He's right there in the middle of them all. So he's with his men. He splits them up, so he's got 318, and he executes a night attack, and he routed the five kings. He brought back all of Sodom's goods and all their population that had been taken captive, including a lot, and his stuff. God was with Abraham, and in their resisting Abram, those five kings were cursed. Abram was blessed, and if you would bless him, that blessing would get on you. But if you cursed him and came against him, it would be a curse that would come on you. Vine's expo- Expository Dictionary, New Testament Words, and I love this, it gives in its series of definitions and ways to describe the word in the Greek for blessed, It it, it in the course of that, gives this, little phrase, empowered to prosper. That's an interesting way of looking at blessed. Abram was empowered to succeed, empowered to win, empowered to expand, empowered to prosper. And the reason why was not because he was so great and grand. But it was because he was in a covenant with God. And we're going to see this strongly in chapter 15. But he was in a covenant with God. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you, that same covenant was expanded and improved. We call it the new covenant. And if you are Christ, then are you heirs according to the promises, those same promises. We have been brought into this covenant And brothers and sisters, we are blessed, we are empowered. We are not in this alone. God has not called you to do something that he will not empower you to accomplish. He wants to help you get where he's called you to be. I think that's part of the problem. Sometimes we try to get where we need to get, where we feel like God's called us to get in our own power, in our own strength. Well, I'm a good natural speaker. I'm a good natural musician. I'm good with money. I'm good with organization. And we look at these natural giftings and whatnot, and we think, well, I'll just get what God wants me to get by applying myself with my natural gifts. I'm going to tell you something. You won't get what God's called you to get if you can get it all in the natural. You've got to lean hard on him. You've got to trust him and walk in faith. It's always too big for you. It's always more than you can do on your own. You gotta lean hard on them. And this is a walk. This is it's quiet in this church tonight. What in the world? Come back from St. Louis and it's quiet in this church. I'm just telling you, you you've you've got to walk it out daily. This is not this is not just about preachers and church and churches getting buildings and accomplishing these destinies and stuff. It's about individual believers. It's about you and your walk with God. This is personal, baby. This is you and your God. He has a relationship with you. He has a plan for your life. Not only in, in North Louisiana did the Baptists used to, to always ask the question, do you know Christ? You know how I say that in North Louisiana. They would always ask, you know, do, have you, do, you, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And 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 it would I, would I would I always would be like, Yeah, and why you call him Christ? You know, like that. Why why you use that accent? But that was North Louisiana, right? But 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 not only uh did they say have you accepted Christ, but they said, Do you have a personal relationship? And that is so spot on. As much as we need the community and we're part of the church, God has a relationship. With each and every one of us, he knows us by name. God so loved the world, but if that world consisted of just you, he would have gone to the cross just for you. He loves you, and he wants to walk in that relationship with you. And he's got a plan for your life. He's got a mission for you. He's got something for you to do. It's more than just darkening the doors of a church, giving in an offering pan, and walking out those doors. God wants to use you mightily in his kingdom God does want to use your natural gifts, but he'll put his super on your natural and and only the it'll be the stuff that only God could accomplish through you amen so abram is is discovering that it's so powerful and he was in a covenant relationship listen to verses seventeen through twenty and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Lamor, and the kings who were with him, Abram and Melchizedek, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. So enter onto the stage this strange cat by the name of Melchizedek. Now there's a name for y'all who are having kids still. Here's a name for you. Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness, and he was the king of Salem. Some say he was a theophany. He was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. And the reason why is because the book of Hebrews points out that he did not have a lineage. We don't have his lineage, his, his mom and dad and his heritage and the names and whatnot. Hebrews speaks a lot about Melchizedek, as we saw in Expedition Early Church. He's also mentioned in the Psalms and some other places. I don't believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ, but I do believe he was a type of Christ. He typified Christ. That's why his lineage is not given. That's why his name is King of Righteousness. That's why he is the King of Salem. That's why he is a priest. Jesus has no earthly lineage. At least, like we do. That's why uh, Jesus' name. Jesus is the King of Righteousness, uh, Zion's righteous governor. Jesus is the King of Peace, uh, the Prince of Peace. It's it's not like the Prince, the heir to the throne. It's more like Machiavelli. It's the King of Peace, the shah Shalom. And Jesus is our High Priest, and He's a priest after Hebrew says it. the order. Of Melchizedek, uh, and, and this is interesting too because the Levitical priesthood comes from Aaron in the Bible, and Jesus is is not from the tribe of Levi. Does anybody know what tribe he's from? Judah. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah, and yet he's our high priest, but he's not Levitical, which is the priesthood tribe he is from the tribe of judah but the writer of hebrews clarifies and says that there's a superior order of priest to aaron's descendants the levitical priesthood and that is the order of melchizedek melchizedek it says that it says that jude that that levi aaron levi paid tithes, gave tithes to Melchizedek while he was still in Abraham's loins, is the King James, in his DNA. So Levi, Aaron and Levi are going to be descendants from Abram, but before they were born in the genetics, Abram gives tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is from a higher order. And so, although Jesus came from the tribe of Judah and not Levi, he is still a high priest, but after the order of Melchizedek. And that's why we don't have an earthly lineage, and he's Zion's righteous governor, and he's the prince of peace, and he's our high priest. Now, here's what's interesting. Why don't you stand with me? It's already 8.13, my goodness. And see, we got this far. (laughs) without me even, uh, you know, giving different pronunciations, right? Alternative pronunciations. Melchizedek blessed Abram, blessed God, and said it was God, Abram, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram's reaction is very telling. He gave Melchizedek a tithe, it says, of all. Guzik points out this is a tithe not of his income, but of his assets. Now, if he had 318 servants who could fight, scholars estimate that he had over 2,000 people in his entourage, men, women, and children. And he was the one providing. It was the blessing of the Lord, but it was flowing in and through Abram. He had tons and tons of stuff, silver, gold, sheep, cattle, goats, camels, spices, material, tents, food, seeds. And Abram responded to the goodness of God by tithing on all of his assets. You didn't see tithing coming up tonight, did you, on a Wednesday night here in the book of Genesis? But this was 500 years before the law of Moses, and 2,000 years earlier, we saw tithing, I believe, in the Garden of Eden when the Lord said, all these trees you can eat of, but this one, it's not for you, it belongs to me. It's mine. Some of y'all are going through Financial Peace University, DJ and Wendy's, their life group. Uh, We did that here in church uh, at one time in a class. I love Dave Ramsey. Of course, he's all over tithing. But there's something about the tithe that opens the windows of heaven where God pours out a blessing. We saw that in Malachi 3. And again, this predates the law. And, And it's interesting to me. How did Abraham know about this. Where did that come from? It must have been part of worshiping God from the beginning, going way to the very beginning. We see where Cain brought the first, right, the first of his his produce to the Lord, or, or Abel brought the first of his flocks to the Lord. And so, what what? there's something about it that goes back to the very, very beginning. God proved himself faithful. Man, I'm trying to get through this. Uh, it's 860. Let, I'm going to read these verses, and we're done. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I raise my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours lest you should say, I made Abram rich, except only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. Anner, Eshcol, Mamre, let them take their portion. He was was determined, you will never say that you made me rich. God is my provider, not you. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he has no sorrow to it. Now here's a, a quick thought. Introducing the next chapter. You would think that Lot, after all of that, Lot, who had gone over to the well-watered plains and it ended up in Sodom and there were horrible things taking place there, you would think that after all that just went down, that Lot would say, here's the deal, guys. Uh, I'm gone, King of Sodom. I'm going back with Uncle Abram. You guys have all kind of trouble following you. But that's not the case. Epic fail on Lot's part. He says, gee, thanks, Abram. And he turns around and goes back with the king of uh, of Sodom back into Sodom. And we know literally all hell is going to break loose very soon there. But then in Genesis 15, the Lord appears to Abram and says, Abram, be not afraid. I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Closing with this, this is amazing. He said, you don't ever have to worry about those kings coming back for retribution. I've got you covered. I am your shield. Never forget that. And then also, in you not taking from the king of Sodom, I want you to know also, you are right. I am your exceeding great reward. I will continue to provide for your every need. As long as Abram put God first, no matter how many times he stumbled, when he turned back and would put God first, God would take him another step on the journey. He might take a step back, but then God would take him two paces ahead. He might fall back. We're going to see it soon. But then God would take him three steps ahead. He may fall back. And isn't that a picture of the Christian life? I just want to encourage you tonight. Never stop. Never quit. Always understand. it's. God that is my provider. I'm not, listen, I'm not looking to Powerball, and I'm not looking to mega millions. If I won Powerball, people say, Powerball made Donovan a wealthy man. I don't know why I'm saying this. But the Lord, right? But if God provides on our journey, God gets all the glory. God gets all the honor. God gets all the power and, the, and the, 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 the accolades. It's the same with you. Let him be your source. Take those baby steps. I'm telling you, i got a message for Sunday. Oh, my goodness, I'm so excited about it. God wants to do some great things in your life. Can you just close your eyes, lift your hands to him right now. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this Genesis 14, Genesis 15. God, you made a covenant with that old man, God. And that covenant was expanded and upon. It was settled in the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been brought into it, God. We've been grafted in, Lord. This wild olive branch, we've been grafted in, Lord. And we're partakers of the richness of the sap and the root. God, the anointing of the Most High God flows in this church, into these people. Lord, there's a blessing on this congregation. Those who know you as Lord, those who have been born again, Lord, there is such a blessing on this congregation. I pray, God, that we would walk in it, not that we would try to be worthy of it, God, but we would just receive it, God, and let it change us, God, from the inside out, from the inside out. Can you lift your hands to Him in Jesus' name?